Hello and welcome to the St Mungo's podcast. So this is part two of our interview with Dr Christine Goodall. Dr Goodall is a, an oral surgeon in Glasgow and if you haven't listened to part one I would recommend you do that now. Otherwise let's just jump right back in. Okay so we're on to patient number four I think. Um, so we've got three happy patients so far. So the next one is a, a chipped or, or broken teeth. Yeah. So t- the root's still intact but, but the the tooth is broken. What's your immediate thoughts with this patient? Uh, my immediate thought with that is that I don't think there's much you could do for them in the emergency department. So they need to go to the dentist as soon as possible. And I think the best you can do for them is probably give them some painkillers. Okay. And would that be paracetamol, ibuprofen yep, again? the usual stuff. Now, we often get awful confused about the depth of break and how much is exposed. Mm-hmm. I think what you're saying is... Don't worry about it. Don't worry it. about that. Because, you know, there's no point in worrying about stuff that you probably can't do anything about. And I could speak to you for two, three hours on dental trauma, but I don't think it would really help you practically. Brilliant. So how urgent is urgent? So we're Friday evening. Would it mm-hmm. wait to the next day? Well, you know, the um, a lot of um, cities in Glasgow's one of those has an emergency service that runs out of their local dental hospital or out of a local clinic. So a good idea to have the number of that um, that service. And um, you can either give them a phone um, and patients can go up there or patients can phone NHS 24 and get referred up there. So if they, um, you know, in Glasgow, for example, if they phoned NHS 24 on your advice, um, they would normally be advised to attend the next morning. Okay, Fantastic. And somebody would do some emergency treatment for that that would take them over to, to the Monday. Anything else in terms of, we, we mentioned a little bit about cleaning the mouth with warm salty water make a difference mm-hmm. or could that be make it worse? Anything? Um, I don't think that would help in that situation. So I think basically what they need is somebody to um, to put a temporary dressing or filling in the tooth or um, depending on where the fracture is, maybe to start a root canal treatment for them. Um, and some people, in fact, may need to have the tooth removed. So, um, so I think... Um, it's really just analgesia is the main thing for you. And I've seen some people talk about trying to cover the teeth with things if for the really painful ones. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that we can do? That I, I mean, I think if you had things like made up, you know, cements, zinc oxide eugenol would be one of them that would that would cover the, the tooth up until they could get to the emergency okay. dentist. Um, but I think, you know, you probably have to accept there's going to be a bit of pain. Yeah. What about things like sugar-free gum? I read, I don't know if there's evidence behind any of this. And the other thing is Sensodyne toothpaste. Yeah, so um, so sugar-free gum we'll deal with first. Um, I guess if you had a, a cavity that you could put the gum into where it might stay, that might help cover it up until they get somewhere. If you've got a broken front tooth, it's not going to stick on because it's not sticky so um so it's probably not that useful um sensodyne toothpaste is useful for sensitive teeth yeah so where people maybe have receding gums um we would normally advise them to put that as a paste round about their yeah their teeth so that um it helps block off the dentine tubules but for a broken tooth i think it's unlikely to be it's gonna wash away it's not it's not gonna sit there it is so would there be any broken teeth that would need to be seen that night do you think I wouldn't have said so. I think they can all probably wait to get to the emergency dentist. And if you're going to think I'm obsessed with nerve blocks here, (laughs) but if we did have one that was particularly painful, Mm -hmm. is it possible again to do some sort of, you know, potentially a a longer acting kind of But Do you know, you never really go wrong with local anaesthetic in the mouth. It always gets people out of discomfort. Okay, so we're moving on. Our next patient um, is an avulsed tooth. 
So this is something that we see from time to time. So what what's your initial thoughts and some of the things you would do? Yeah, so so the important thing with Avil's teeth in adult patients is to get them back in as soon as you can. So you've probably got 45 minutes from the time it comes out to, the t- to get to the time you put it back in if it's going to be reasonably successful. Um, that's not to say that you shouldn't put it back in after that. I would still do that. Um, but you, you, the best success will be within 45 minutes if you can do that. Um, with Avil's teeth, you need to try and... Um, not handle the root of the tooth. And I'm kind of assuming everybody will know which bit's the root and which bit's the crown. The crown is the bit that sticks out in your mouth. Okay, the visible bit, yeah. Um, and uh, just rinse it, rinse the root with saline. Don't scrape it with anything. Okay. And put it back in. So the um, again, your local anaesthetic quite handy here. So if you can give the patient a wee bit of local anaesthetic, you'll get it back in a lot more easily. Okay. Um, and the important thing is try and get it the right way round. Yeah. So what I would always advise people to do is look at the one on the other side. What does it look like? Yeah. Because they're all they're all matching. So one side looks the same as the other side. So yeah. they should be symmetrical. So just try and make sure you put it in the right way round. Because if you put it in the wrong way round, patient will be able to shut their mouth. Okay. And in terms of transport, mm-hmm. we hear about milk. Mm-hmm. Is that a myth? Or is that is is there some genuine merit to that? No, I mean it's it's just trying to uh, it's uh, it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. It's a kind of isotonic fluid, I suppose. Um, you don't want to put it in anything that's going to kill off the cells that are on the root because yeah. they're what's going to help the the tooth, um, you know, um, integrate back in if it's if it's going to do that. So you want to keep those cells alive if possible because when you look at the root, there'll always be some tissue on it. Yeah. Um, and you don't want to scrape that off. So um, so milk is okay. Um, saliva is also okay. So some some people advise the patient um, to put the tooth back in their mouth and maybe just hold it in their cheek okay. if they're able to do that. So obviously you don't want to do that in somebody who might be an airway risk. And I'd, I'd read somewhere sometime about a little bit of salty water. Is that is that useful? Well, Say you didn't have of, milk. It's kind of like saline, isn't it? I, I guess. Yeah, it's another Sim- similar sort of thing. Um, but saliva is probably the best thing. Okay, oh, that's a good um, fact. It, your own saliva. Yeah, yeah. So just putting it in uh-huh, back just in the gum in your between your teeth. Your teeth. Just, yeah, just Fantastic. hold it in there. And just to be clear, you did say it, but I just wanted to stress: if someone came in and it had been an hour or mm-hmm. an hour and a bit, you would still advocate putting it back in and getting to the dentist, and then they can decide. Um, Absolutely. So I would still put it back in. Um, you're probably not going to be able to splint it back in terribly effectively. Yeah. You can still, you can use things like, um, you know, tin foil, the inside of a suture packet, that kind of thing, just to put around it to try and keep it in one place. But most people can manage to keep the tooth in themselves and you just get them to bite on some gauze and away they go like that. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, you, you've probably already answered it there. That That always seemed to be a challenge for us, knowing how to keep it in place. Mm-hmm. And I've I've heard that the kind of tin foil thing you're nearly kind of making a little kind of yeah a little gutter or yeah. little, um, any tips on that or or is it as 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 kind of crude as what you say you're literally kind of forming a little gum shield is is it is that yeah effectively you're 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 trying to make them a wee gum shield so that it will maybe stay back in and if you've got any sort of dental cement at all you can put that in the wee gum shield and stick them all together that way that's a it's a really crude way of doing it but um but sometimes that can be helpful but i think if the patient's you know compass mentis they're not going to be an airway risk i think just getting them to keep some pressure on it with gauze okay. um, will um will help it to kind of 
stick back into an extent so long as the socket's not too badly damaged. And in terms of disposition, mm-hmm. how quickly? As Can they go through a night with, with, well, with it out being kind of properly cemented yeah. in? I mean, I guess some, peop- some people will probably have to, depending yeah. on where people are. Yeah. But again, that's one that I would try, if it's the middle of the night, I would try and get them over to MaxFax. Okay. Um, so that um, that can be splinted properly. Okay. But I think if you if you can put it back in, then that's just amazing because okay. that makes the job so much easier and the outlook for the patient so much better. Um, if it's during the day, obviously, to their own dentist or through NHS 24 to the emergency dental service. And any tips about putting it in? Is it literally just... Or would you try to open the socket in some way or just literally orientate it the right direction, yeah. hold it with a crown and try and slip it in? Is, is there anything that would facilitate it slipping in? Anything? I think you need to push it in, really. Just, so, just push? Yeah, so, um, so it probably won't just slide in with no pressure. You will probably have to put pressure on it. And what you're trying to do is to get the... the um, the crown to the same level as the one on the other side. Yeah, okay. Um, and that might require a little bit of pressure, which is why local anaesthetic, again, is helpful. Is there a time frame where it's just pointless, would you say? <laughs> that's, a that's, one, a diff- that's a difficult one. So, you know, we've had people turn up with teeth the next day. I think that's probably... Too far. Too late. You know, maybe if they've been in a fight or something and their pal comes in the next day with a tooth, that's probably too late. But could, would, would you even say within a few hours, like three, four, five hours, would, would you still consider that... I would st- I would still consider it and I think I think for us you know if it's if it's that late on um if they came to the dental hospital for example we would probably take all the tissue off the tooth yeah at that stage so what you're trying to do is not have it is is basically get it to ankylose yeah at, at that at that situation and you're accepting that over time it will just resorb so that's what tends to happen to teeth that are put back in when they've been avulsed yeah. is over time and i'm talking probably years for many of them um the tooth will be replaced by bone okay so the long-term outlook for these teeth is not fantastic but if you can keep them for a few years all to the good okay so the next patient um comes in and they've taken a blow to the face and they feel, they tell us it's broken dark. Um, Big topic, but are there any little pearls around kind of facial fractures that we should know about? Yeah, so I guess there's there's a few things. So the mandibular fractures, they're the ones that need to get seen by MaxFax as soon as possible. Um, And the reason for that is that most mandibular fractures are compound fractures to the mouth. So um, so if you look at the x-ray, so I guess you would maybe get an OPT. Um, if you look at the x-ray normally, you'll see a black line running through the mandible and going up the side of one of the teeth or maybe more than one of the teeth. So that's a compound fracture because it's open to the mouth. Um, and that's even if you can't see bits of bone sticking out here, there and everywhere. Um, so they're much more prone to getting infected. Um, and they need to be fixed as soon as possible. So they're normally the ones that would go to MaxFax that night, get fixed probably on the trauma list the next morning. Um, the infraorbital or zygomatic fractures, so I guess the official name is the zygomatical maxillary complex, um, they um, can probably wait a bit longer. Um, most of those fractures wouldn't get fixed straight away. So they really are ones that should be getting booked on to the next trauma clinic. Yeah. Um, the proviso um, for that, though, is people for whom their eye signs are not normal. So you should obviously be looking at to see if there's any entrapment. Yeah. And also people who might be showing signs of having a retrobulbar hemorrhage. Um, they need to be 
obviously dealt with very urgently and you would probably have to deal with, with that in the emergency department. Is there any way clinically to, to know, I mean obviously we have the luxury of x-rays, but is there any mm. way little clinical kind of things we can do to, that would suggest that the patient has a fracture? Yeah, so the mandibular fractures, um, people would normally have a fair degree of pain. Um, they might have some numbness around the, the mental nerve area. That's quite classic. Um, they often feel that their teeth are not biting together properly. So their occlusion's deranged or they might not be able to get their teeth closed at all if they've got a bilateral fracture. Um, and you may, if you look inside of the mouth, you might see what looks like maybe a tooth missing, but that's probably the two ends of the fracture have drifted apart a bit. Um, and if you try and manipulate the mandible, it will be very uncomfortable. So those things would probably indicate to me that the patient had a fracture um, and I would get x-rays on that basis. And in terms of disposition, I think we've probably said it already, discuss all cases with Max Facts. Yep. They're likely to see the, the kind of zygomatico maxillary complex fractures in a, in a trauma clinic, but the mandibular fractures, they're likely to see that need. That's right, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so next patient, I don't know if this is getting increasingly more complicated. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not, but uh, we've got a jaw dislocation. Mm. Um, and this is one that I've seen a few times in my career and and sometimes feels difficult to do and, and not always very successful. And there's been a little bit of recent kind of social media kind of um, Twitter feeds and stuff suggesting some other little mm. techniques that, that might be useful. I, I don't know, do you have a preferred technique or have you come across any interesting techniques that might be worth looking at or knowing about? I've only ever done it the conventional way, which is standing in front of the patient and pushing down, you know, on the on the external oblique ridge to try and re relocate it. But the thing that I think is probably very helpful for a lot of patients is a wee bit of sedation. Okay. Um, because people get, well, one, people get very anxious about the fact that they can't shut their mouth. Um, and that's the classic sign of a jaw dislocation is that you can't shut your mouth. So we have a lot of patients coming to see us saying, oh, my jaw dislocates all the time. But what they mean is it's clicking. Yeah. But so if they can shut if if they can shut their mouth, they don't have a dislocation, basically. Okay, good. Um, and uh, yeah, so they get very anxious. So sedation can be helped from that from that point of view. But the other thing that tends to happen when your jaw um, comes out is that the muscle goes into spasm, and those big chewing muscles are massive. So if you can give people a bit of sedation, it can just help that relax a wee bit, and you're more likely to get it back in. Any have you come across any kind of unusual techniques or anything worth kind of? Do you know I haven't. I've always just done it the, the conventional way. But I've seen the the recent podcast of of the pushing on the almost pushing on the cheekbones. I think. Yeah. 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 Um, so next time somebody comes in, I'll give that a go. But you've always had success, <laughs> I guess, with the, yeah, the traditional so why change? No, exactly. We usually manage to get it back in, but it's it's something that is notoriously difficult and you need to make sure that you're standing um, above the patient. Yeah. So there's no point in trying to do that when you're on the same level. So, so get the know, patient sitting out uh -huh, on a yeah, chair and yeah, stand over and them. And stand over them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So final patient, um, <laughs> again, it's quite a big topic, but uh, kind of bleeding kind of suturing wounds yeah, okay. sorry i'm getting there yeah. wounds in in the mouth and in the tongue um any kind of thoughts around wounds and bleeding and, and initial emergency management of those yeah so i guess you can get wounds in various places so the tongue is notorious for bleeding a lot um and 
again, you know, I keep saying it again and again, local anaesthetic is probably your best friend. So give the patient some local anaesthetic with adrenaline in it, with a dental syringe, and that will help a little bit just to, to manage. It won't stop the bleeding, but it'll help to manage it. So with the tongue, you basically just need to get some sutures in that and and try and keep pressure on it to, to stop it from bleeding. Yeah. Um, the tongue is hard, though, because people can't not move it. Yeah. So it's very difficult to keep that still and stop it from starting bleeding again so um, I think the thing to remember with the tongue though is it doesn't again doesn't have to look pretty it'll heal up fine regardless of what you do you don't have to be a perfect suturer to get to get that you just need to stop it bleeding um, again with the tongue though because there are some quite big vessels in there if there's something specific bleeding you should probably try and use diathermy to stop it okay um, because you might struggle just with sutures and with the suturing you can usually get the wound closed and the sort of superficial bleeding to stop but if there's deep bleeding it'll just ooze out past your sutures so if you can see a specific vessel that's bleeding um, you should diathermy it. And in terms of um, anaesthetising it is it just around the wound? Yeah It's as simple as that? Absolutely and you'll often see it if you've got local anaesthetic with adrenaline you'll often see the 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 tissues start to really blanch. Don't worry about that. Um, that's a good thing. And would you go for a little bit of pressure before suturing? You can do. I mean, if you're if you're really having trouble seeing because there's so much blood around with the tongue, um, you can try that to start with just to get a wee bit of control over it. And dry or wet? Dry. <laughs> dry again. <laughs> that's a good tip for today. I, I always thought it was kind of wet was the way. No, I always dry. thought you would kind of nearly form a little clot and then you would peel mm. it away, but dry seems to work No, we always best do dry. We always do dry. So if you're thinking about, um, so the other things that people maybe find a wee bit trickier are lip lacerations. Yeah. Um, the thing there is to make sure that you get, you match up the vermilion border. Yeah. Um, so that's the most important thing there. Um, if you're suturing the intraoral part of the lip, um, you really can't do much wrong. But if you're on the face, obviously you have to be as careful as you can about what sutures you use there and how you do that. Any any wounds you would leave alone? And I'm probably thinking of the internal kind of lip uh-huh. wounds. Uh-huh. Would you ever leave those alone or would you tend to always... We t- and unless they're really superficial, in which case, you know, you can just leave them. I would probably tend to suture them. You would. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we can certainly handle probably a lot of facial wounds and, and oral wounds, but wh- which are the ones that, that maybe need a little bit of extra help? Well, I think ones where there are other structures involved. So I'm thinking of things like the facial nerve, um, the parotid duct, um, the parotid gland. Um, there may be ones that you should think of referring on to, uh, you know, either plastics or Maxfax. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, the facial nerve can potentially be repaired. So, you know, if you've, and it can be sometimes quite hard to ascertain with somebody who's got a big laceration, what, whether bits of their facial nerve are not working. Yeah. But, um, but you should certainly try and test whether it is. And if in doubt, um, refer. And if in I doubt, guess. refer. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, so you'd be glad to know that's all the dental patients sorted. You know, it's amazing to have a ward <laughs> full of so many um, that's all we saw tonight. dental patients, it's all isn't dental. it? <laughs> um, so the way we like to finish these podcasts is we like to get a few questions from our audience, if that's okay. So just mm-hmm. a wee smattering of things, just a few wee quick fire questions, if that's okay. So Jenny Adams asked, how was it to receive an OBE? Um, quite overwhelming and a big surprise. 
So it was really nice. Obviously, I accepted it on behalf of Medics Against Violence because it's always all these things are always a team sport, aren't they? Yeah. So, um, but it was lovely. It was. And lovely. can I ask, do you find out in advance, or do you find out when the rest of the public? No, find you out? find out about a month in advance. So oh, this so letter arrives all with all the official stamps on it and everything. I actually thought when I got the letter that I mustn't have paid my tax bill or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so you find out, and they swear you to secrecy. For oh, about wow. a month. I wonder what happens if you break it, if you don't keep the secret. I don't know. I'm sure a lot of people don't, but, you know, if somebody tells me not to tell, I tend not to, so I didn't. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> and was there a ceremony or did you did you have to go and receive? Yeah, I went down to Buckingham Palace and was oh, presented fantastic. it by Prince Charles, who's much shorter than you think. Oh, wow. There, there you go. go. There's a wee tip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, next question um, is Michael Sheehan asks, why do they make the dental drill noise so hair-raising? Well, do you know, I hate it as well. Can I just say that? I hate going to the dentist and oh, I, really? hate, I hate having fillings. So, um, yeah, so everybody should just brush their teeth and then they can just avoid all that nonsense. But anyway, it's because it's an air turbine going at 200,000 RPMs and that's why it makes such a big noise. Sorry, what was that? 200,000 RPMs. So it's a bit like a jet engine. And Lord. Uh, they're pretty noisy. So it's a little jet engine, basically. And uh, and that's why it's so noisy, because it's going so, so fast. So it's not on purpose. It's just a feature <laughs> of the design that you can't get away with. Absolutely. And uh, most of us don't like it. Wow. And do, do, you, do you ever play distracting music or do you wear earplugs or do you, do you do anything to kind well, of drown it out? I'm quite lucky because I'm an oral surgeon. I don't use a high speed drill ever. Okay. So all the oral surgery is done with a low speed drill. So we don't have to listen to that all day. Well, but yeah, I'd certainly be wearing, I'd certainly be listening to music. Was that doing one something. of the reasons you chose that particular <laughs> I think so. I think career so. path? Okay. Um, one question is uh, Michelle, I think that's Doherty asks, what's been the biggest change in dental emergency care in the last 20 years? Well, do you know, we were thinking about that today and it's not 20 years, it's probably a bit longer than that. But the biggest revolution, I suppose, in maxillofacial stuff um, was the introduction of plating systems, which obviously came from orthopaedics. Because before that, and I can still remember doing this, we used to wire things together. Um, so, so that's been a huge change. And I guess the other thing for dental trauma um, has, you know, maybe where your teeth are knocked out, is the, is the use of um, orthodontic train track wires to splint them and that's been a huge advance for patients because they're not having to wear what we used to call cap splints which went over all of your teeth um for quite a reasonable period of time so now they can just have an orthodontic a little train track okay well because i i i get to do this interview i get to ask the last question and, oh, and i always like to ask the same question of everyone if that's mm -hmm. okay so it's just if, if I was able to take you back in time to meet your junior self just starting out um, with your little lobster. Um, <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're beyond lobsters. You, you're, you're exiting your, your dental degree. Um, mm -hmm. what, what have you gained in all of your experience? What, what either clinical or non-clinical would you pass on to your junior that would maybe help them in their career? Well, do you know, when I, when I left dentistry, I think I was only not on call for the first six months and then I started on call in MaxFax. And that's very scary. And I guess that's the same for everybody starting out on call um, without a medical degree as well. So some of the things I find quite overwhelming. So the things I would say to people is don't be afraid to ask. You're part of a team. Just always remember that. Um, and uh, never be worried about waking somebody up. 
Including the Max Fax. Including the Max Fax consultant. Yeah. Including the Max Fax consultant. So, um, you know, I think that's the most important thing is to, to remember that, that just ask. It doesn't make you look stupid. You'll always learn something. Fantastic. Well, look, um, I can't thank you enough. It's been an absolutely incredible run through dental emergencies. I think there's lots of amazing points there for us all to to kind of bring to our practice. Mm. So thank you very, very much. Any any last little thing you want to say? or, or, or Well, do you know, the only thing I would say is um, we phone you quite a lot. Don't worry about phoning us. Okay. Please do. And if, if you know, we can help in any way, we'll try and do that. Now that would, you would mean, now you as a dental surgeon in the dental hospital, yeah. would that be something we could do within hours? Yeah, absolutely. How, absolutely. how does it work? Would there be someone available at all times or? Yeah. So in the oral surgery department, we always have somebody available to answer the phone. It's not that they wouldn't necessarily be doing something, but you know, they can come to the phone. So, um, so we have a system of, of nurses answering the phone and then getting one of us to speak to somebody. So a lot of GPs phone us up constantly. Um, and uh, out of hours, there's NHS 24. Um, but for yourselves, you should be able to phone the emergency out of hours emergency service and get advice from them as well. So, lots, lots of places to get mm-hmm. advice. Well, look, thank you very much, Dr. Christine Goodall, OBE. It's been an absolute pleasure. I cannot thank you enough for your time. Not at all. It's been a pleasure. So, I hope you enjoyed that interview, and many, many thanks to Dr. Christine Goodall for her time. I think my main take-home points are, number one, for broken teeth, the type of break really has limited clinical significance, and the main contribution for A&E staff is probably analgesia, and then making sure they seek early dentist follow-up. Number two, avulsed teeth can be transported in the gum of the patient, or in a bit of milk, or some water with a little bit of salt. And ideally, they should be recited within 45 minutes, but you can consider a little bit longer. Generally, to recite them, you should rinse them with a little bit of saline, but don't remove the tissue. You should handle it by the crown and then push back into the socket, using the other side as a guide to depth and appearance. Number three, mandibular fractures are usually compound fractures and they need urgent MaxFax review and fixation. Zygomatigo maxillary complex fractures generally can wait until the next trauma clinic unless they have eye signs. And number four, for tongue wounds, you can use lignocaine and adrenaline, but remember to use a dental syringe. You can apply pressure with some dry gauze. And when placing stitches, you do not require a perfect cosmetic appearance because the tongue will heal very well. And number five, it would be worth finding out what your local emergency dental service is. That could be a dental hospital or a local dental clinic. And it may be worth even speaking to them and finding out how you could refer patients or at least phone for assistance or advice during working hours. A huge thank you again to Dr. Christine Goodall for her time. Many thanks again to the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons in Glasgow, who very kindly let us use their brand new facilities for this interview. Many, many thanks to you for listening and take care.